Bible, you can turn with me to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 5. Yeah, chapter 5. Um, and uh, you guys are about midway through, a little past midway through um, this journey through, through this book. I don't know whose idea it was to go through Ecclesiastes. Um, somebody should have had a conversation with somebody else before they decided to do that, to be honest with you. But uh, hey, you know, you live and you learn uh, in, through these things, so whatever. But it's, it's, not, it's not my deal. Anyway, uh, this is the word of the Lord, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, uh, verses... Uh, uh, 10 and following. So, uh, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has his owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich uh, will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. And as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be a good and fitting, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing and all that he desires. Yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's goods, and he also has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he, for it comes in vanity, and it goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he shall live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good. Do not, all go, do not all go to the one place. All the toil of a man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct better 
himself than the living. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving of the wind. Let's pray. Father, we come in Jesus' name and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing and all that you've promised to do. We thank you for what you've accomplished in Jesus Christ, that you have provided for your people uh, a, a means, the means, uh, by which they can be reconciled back to you and find true meaning uh, in this life under the sun uh, and, 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 and hope for the life that is to come. Lord, we pray that in the next few moments that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see uh, what your word is communicating, what your, what your spirit would long for us to, to understand and uh, that you would be glorified in that. Lord, we pray for um, every congregation. We pray for this congregation, but every congregation uh, in, uh, in, in North Syracuse, in, in, uh, in, in Central New York, in the state of New York, throughout the U.S. and throughout the world, that gathers um, in the name of Jesus. We pray, Father, that you would strengthen your people, that you'd use them as your instrument um, to declare who you are, to... to um, uh, be your witnesses, and that you would um, build your church, um, not for our sake, but for your name's sake. Uh, and Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to know you, to love you, and to serve you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Uh, as you look at a text like this, um, on its surface, it is, uh, uh, and, and maybe in the other pericopes you've looked at uh, throughout uh, um, your journey through uh, this book of Ecclesiastes. I don't know. I haven't paid attention to what you've been doing. Uh, but but it, it can be jumbled and, and, and whatnot. And, um, and as I was looking at it over the course of the last couple of days, um, I, I was um, grateful that last week um, I actually preached through 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, it, um, in our congregation, we're, we're walking through First uh, Timothy, which is actually a very simple book to preach, by the way. Maybe, maybe after this, that's where you go. I don't know. <laughs> Just a helpful suggestion. Um, but uh, pretty simple, A, B, C, bam. Um, but, but nonetheless, the contention that Paul makes in, in that, uh, and, um, and obviously Col uh, 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 the author of Ecclesiastes and Paul don't know each other, um, but, but nonetheless... Uh, the contention that Paul makes in 1 Timothy 6 as he's about to talk about, um, uh, as he's contending for, uh, for doctrine and he's contending for, for uh, uh, over and over and over in that, that epistle with Timothy to, to fight for, for, for doctrine. Um, in, in, in 1 Timothy 6, 6, he, he, he says to Timothy that godliness with contentment is of great gain. And that becomes his entry point for this famous idea that, that, that if you've read 1 Timothy, you know where he says that the love of money is a root, a root, not the only root, but a root to all kinds of evil, right? When we think about um, um, money, sex, power, right? These, these three big buckets of, of, of temptation uh, that, that men and women are prone to give into, um, that money is, the love of money is a root to all kinds of evil. It's not the only one, but it's a root, right? And the antidote to that, uh, he says to us, is godliness 
right? And when we think about godliness, uh, people, I think, are prone to think morality, but that's not it. Godliness is to know Jesus, to know God, right? And to be, um, to be submitted to whom he is and to be willing to be transformed into the likeness of his son, right? That's what godliness is. It's, it's, a, it's to be in relationship with him and it's, it's to be in submission to him and it's, it's, the, it's, it's this, uh, this, this transformative process whereby a man or a woman is, is being transformed into the image of the son where, where now he or she is, is looking like God, right? They're, they're not a God, right? But they're, they're being transformed into the image of the Son by a work of the Spirit, right? And so the godliness, it's a relational, right? It's not a, it's not a performative attribute. It's a relational um, outcome, right? Whereby I'm in relationship with the triune God, right, because of what Christ has done and by a work of the Spirit. And now I, my life is beginning to look like God. And then with that, right, in submission to who He is and all that He's done, right, there, there comes in this life, this under-the-sun idea that the, that the writer of Ecclesiastes talks about all the time, there comes this contentment because I recognize that everything in this life has been afforded to me by Him whether that be my, my relationships, uh, my resources, my time, right, my energy, my vocation, whatever it may be. Those things are opportunities. Or those, things are, those, those, those things are blessings that he's given me, and they be, then become opportunities whereby I get to um, demonstrate uh, who he is and what he's done and what he desires to do. We call that the stewardship of life. Right where I'm now, where I'm now able to steward all that God has entrusted to me, recognizing that every good and perfect thing comes from the Father of the heavenly lights. Right, that's what James tells us. Right, and I'm now able to take all of those things and and glorify Him, where when when I when I utilize those things for His honor and for His glory. Godliness with contentment, not, not godliness with, but if only you would just do this thing for me and that thing for me, and if I only I had a little bit more of this. No, no, no. The antidote for the love of money being the root of all kinds of evil is a submission to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what Jesus longs to do and contentment in that, which again, I think is a work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a man or woman. Right, becomes the antidote or an antidote to the, the hedonism that we see in our day and age. Right? So you come to a text like this text that we have this morning, and I think it's a similar text. Right? And the way that the, 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 these... Uh, and whenever I, whenever I read Proverbs or whenever I read Ecclesiastes, I recognize that they're um, on the surface pithy statements... Right, that could go on a billboard or could go on a, 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 a you know, a bumper sticker or on a, right here. Um, and, and I like these. Some of these I wrote. Right, um, so they're good. They're great. Right, um, but they they could go on on things like this, and you look at them, and they stand on their own, and then they get strung together, and they become, hmm. 
right? And so you've got to take a text like this and you've got to break it down and see what, the pith- what, we, what each of those statements means. And so that's what I just want to do over the next few minutes um, and look at each of these sections and how they maybe kind of fit together uh, um, as somewhat of a, of a whole. Uh, and so in the first few verses that we have, verses 10 through 12, uh, you have some instructions or some, some basic principles about um, wealth and money, right? Some teachings or some thoughts on that, right? In verse 10, it says uh, this, that he who loves money, right? And again, uh, the love of money is a root of all evil or all kinds of evil. Uh, he who loves money will never be satisfied with money, right? What, what a great thing to, to learn, right? This, this idea, right? If you're a father today, right? Happy Father's Day to you. If you're a father, uh, it's really just another Sunday, by the way. Don't mean to burst your bubble. But nonetheless, uh, if you're a father, um, it's an important thing to teach your children, right? It's an important thing to drill de- deep down into the lives, especially of your sons, right? Hey, man, go out, work hard, work hard, work hard. To to your sons and your daughters, work hard, but recognize that money is just a tool in the hands of people to glorify God, right? He who loves money will never be satisfied with it. You're never going to have enough of it. It's never going to feel like you've arrived at a place where you're like, ha ha, if your motivation, or if your love, if the thing that you're trying to acquire is more of it, right? He, he goes on to say that, that the one who loves wealth uh, will not be satisfied basically with his income, right? Nobody's ever going to look at what they're making and think, yeah, yeah, that's good, if that's their motivation, right? That doesn't mean that that someone who, again, godliness with contentment, somebody who's, who, who out of that relationship with Jesus has learned contentment can't look at their income and say, I'm totally content with what I make. Right? But the person who's motivated right, by, by, by the zeros behind you know, or in front of the decimal point, right? behind the comma uh, and in front of the decimal point, that person is never going to be satisfied, right? And it's going to be hard to completely honor the Lord with your life if your motivation is more zeros, right? I, I remember one time talking to a, a, a pastor friend of mine who had just left one, one church to go to another church, and I said to him, so, so why? Why? You seem like, Why? And he said, same job, more zeros. And at that point in time, our relationship just went wink. Because I didn't understand anything he was talking about after that. Like, we were, he was talking Klingon to me. Like, I didn't understand anything else he was talking about. Same job, more zeros. What? What are you talking about? You, you, what? You left your friends, your family, your everything for more zeros? I don't understand that. The second principle that he talks about here, right? Not only will the love of money never satisfy, right? But he says this, that when goods increase, they increase who eat them, right? When you got more money and you buy a bigger house and you got more stuff, the leeches come out of the woodwork, right? 
those friends from high school come back and say, hey, man, remember me? Right? There's always a freeloader. There's always somebody. Hey, man, I need some help. Hey, man, hey, man, hey, man. Right? When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see this with his own eyes? Right? So as God, if God is the one who is the one providing this for you, but as those goods increase, recognize there's going to be a line of people just trailing along, looking for, for help. A line of people knocking on your door, sending you emails, right? Uh, I have the joy of traveling around the world. That's part of what I do for a living, right? I, I'm in a different country every month, right? I wish social media was never invented, uh, because my Facebook Messenger thing, which I only have because of the work I do, is filled with people asking me left and right to help them, help them, help them, help them, help them build this, buy that, so forth and so on, right? Because as an American who goes into third world situations, I might as well just have the word ATM uh, on, my, on my forehead, right? It's this principle, right? Where there's wealth, people, people will gather behind. And then, the, then this third principle that he gives you. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. The idea here is that, man, never stop working. Right? Now, we live in a, in a culture, and, and maybe this will step on some of your toes. I don't mean to. We live in a culture that says, hey, man, Put in your 30 years, put in your papers, retire, and then hit the golf course and never whatever. But the reality is, is you were created to be a worker, right? And, 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 uh, and even if you're in retirement, whatever that means, right? Sleep comes after a day's work, right? We were created, right, to work. That's what God, you know, when God created Adam, Right? He first thing he did was he brought him to himself. The next thing he did was he gave him a job. And and he expected him to do that job. And so we weren't created to be lethargic, lazy beings. We were created to work. Right? Now again, you may have uh, you may have retired and you may no longer need to work vocationally. That doesn't mean that God does not have um, work for you to do, right? But sitting around doing nothing um, is not what, what uh, as this says, it, it makes it so you, you don't even sleep, right, is the idea here. Never stop working. Never stop looking for ways to invest in, uh, I would say, the kingdom of God, but to invest your life in something, all right? Then you come, you come as, as you, you, you come to this first um, section here where he talks about um, a folly under the sun. There's two of these, right, in, uh, in 5, uh, 13 through 17 and in 6, 1 through 6. And I'm going to look at both of them together, 
right? Uh, you, get, you get two of these things where he talks about an evil under the sun. And, and throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, there's many of these things. He uses this term under the sun over and over and over again. It's a way he uses to talk about, and you know this, this life, right? The life that you and I live. Uh, this, 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 these, these 60, 70, 80 years, however many the Lord allots you to live in this, this life. And, and what you have here in these two is you've got one, one in, in, in 13 through 17, and then you've got one in 6.6, 6, and they, they form what we would call uh, a, a form of, an, of, of like a, well, they form a bracket, we'll, we'll put it that way, right? And when, when you're reading the text of Scripture and you see something like this where you have the exact same phrasing, you, you look for what's in between, because that's the thing that's important, right? And, and that's what we have here, because because you see these two things, these two evils, right? And well, we'll look at those first. And then what you're going to see is what's in between the two brackets. It becomes the thing that, 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 that is, is to be highlighted. And there we have the good, right? So we've got two evils, but in between the two evils is the good, is the thing that is to be highlighted, the thing that really is the, the, the main point, right? The, the pinnacle of uh, of this passage, if you've been watching, like yesterday, I sat and watched the U.S. Open for a couple hours, and you'd have this thing on the uh, on the coverage where they'd have like the apex of a guy's shot, like and and the good is the apex of this passage, right? And so we'll, we'll want to focus on that. But before we get there, you're going to you see the folly under the sun. The first one uh, in 13 through 17 talks about a man who saves everything he has, right? He he acquires. Uh, it tells us the Greek grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his own hurt. Like he, he saves everything he has to the point where he, 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 he lacks things in his own life. They were kept to his own hurt. And then those riches were lost. Right? Like you, you can see a guy who's putting away every penny Right, because maybe he's got a dream, or he's got this thing that he's saving up for, and then he thinks, "Okay, I got to double this thing up because I'm never going to get it on my own." And so he enters into some sort of venture. Right? Maybe there's a guy who's got like you know some sort of Ponzi scheme, or he's going to gamble this thing. It's a sure, it's a sure bet. You know, uh, you know, heat and four. Uh, you know what I mean? There's no way the Heat are going to lose, even though we already know that they did, right? Like, bam, or, or, or whatever it is. Some way that he, on his own, can double his money. Or maybe some guy just comes along and takes it. Who knows? But whatever it is, he ends up with nothing. He's been saving it, 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 right? And then it's gone, right? He sees himself as the source, right? And the scheme that he had devised to double or to triple or to whatever his own money, right? It ends up leading him into further disappointment. And that then is compared with another rich man in chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, who God gives great wealth to. And yet at the same time, 
God not only gives great wealth to, but then God withholds the ability for that man to enjoy that wealth. Right? Now, that could have been because um, this was just a, a, a miserable man, right? And so God says, I'm not going to let you enjoy that. That could have been because this man never acknowledges that God is the one, most likely, that, that gave him the wealth, and so therefore God doesn't allow it. And what God then does, it, it seems that, that, that then God takes that from him because another person enjoys his wealth, right? As I read that, I think of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, who, who had the world. God allowed him to have the world. And he didn't acknowledge that God allowed him to have the world. And so he ended up losing everything. Right? And, and, and Kola says that, that these two things, these two people, because one strives, right? One schemes. One seeks to, uh, 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 to double his own efforts because he sees himself as the source. And the other, who's been given everything but God, but doesn't acknowledge it. They both end up in meaningless efforts, right? And there are people probably even in this room this morning who maybe you're here and you're like, man, my, my financial situation stinks, or maybe, maybe I've got this, this, this situation, or maybe it's financial, maybe it's not, and I've got to get myself out of it, and I'm trying and trying and trying to figure it out. And I can't figure out a solution. And you're doubling down, tripling down. And the reality is, is God is the only one who can, who can help you. Right? It doesn't matter what the solution is. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's relational. Maybe, maybe it's whatever. It doesn't matter. Right? God is the only one who can take you from the pit. Right? God is the only one. And, and as I say that, don't hear me saying that God's like your genie in the lamp. That, that's not what I'm saying. That he's going to make you a million bucks. That he's going to triple your investments. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is he is the only one in whom there is life. And at the same time, if you're here and you think, man, I, you know, I have all this business acumen and I have all this ability to generate wealth and I've got all of these friends and I got all of this. Look at me, I can, you know, I'm I'm the rainmaker. Get out of here. You're nothing. It's Christ and Christ alone. And God has put whatever He's put in your hand for a reason. And if you are not going to leverage that. For him, he'll put it in somebody else's hand. Parable of the talents, right? I'm going to put five here, three here, one here, or whether you want to go ten here and five here and one here, right? And to the guy who buries it, he's like, "Uh, I'm going to take it away, right? And in the middle of that, you see verses 18 through 20. And in 18 through 20, right, the writer here gives us what I think um, is, is the thing that he's, he's striving for us to see. He says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting. This word fitting is an interesting word. That's an interesting translation for this word. Uh, that Hebrew word is used 40 times in the text. 
right? 40 times in the text of Scripture. Uh, 39 of those times, uh, it's used as an appearance term. This is the only one that's like fitting, and it, it's probably an appearance. It's almost like uh, here, uh, it's fitting like, um, you know, uh, like maybe, yeah, I guess that map fits in the back of the room. Yeah, I guess it's fitting for this room, right? Uh, really, this term means beautiful, right? In, in 32 of the other occurrences of this term uh, in the text, it's beautiful, uh, in, in the other seven uh, occurrences, it's either handsome or uh, 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 of great appearance, right? And so what he's saying is, uh, I've seen something that is good and beautiful, and here it is. All right, listen, All right? Pay attention. To eat, drink, and find enjoyment. It's like, whoa, that sounds great. I mean, look at me, I'm a fat guy. That sounds fabulous, to eat, drink, and find enjoyment, vice, woohoo! In all the toil, in which one toils. Wait a minute. I don't like that. Not really wild on toil, nor toiling, right? But the idea that you want to know what you're going to work, you're going to work by, because you live in and under the curse, right? And that's just part of this life under the sun. Right? I'm going to toil in and under the sun, but I'm going to find some sense of contentment there. Right? I'm going to find some sense of joy there. Why? One who toils, uh, in which one toils under the sun with the few days, few days of his life. Few days. Yeah, there's only a few days here. Now, there's, sometimes it seems like eternity. Right? When you're raising those children, dads. In those early years? Oh, huh, huh. And then, then they're gone. You think, man, that went fast. That went faster than I thought it did. Right? few days. But, but notice here, there's a term that begins to pop up in these next couple verses that doesn't pop up, you know, earlier. few days that God has given him. Right? Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. Right? And so what we see here, the good and the beautiful, is first and foremost to be one who recognizes and acknowledges, right? God. All of this is from God. Right? That, that I'm in relationship with God. That God is the source of all things. That he has now brought me to himself. That in, in, for, for us now on this side of the cross and resurrection, that he has done that in the person of Jesus Christ. Right? That he has brought me into relationship with him. Right? And that everything that I have, right? even the opportunity to toil under the sun, is a gift from him. The opportunity to work, the opportunity to live, the opportunity to love, the opportunity to play, the opportunity to do, to serve, the opportunity to do everything that I do is a gift that he has given me, right? Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and the power to enjoy them and to accept his lot 
and to rejoice in his toil. To rejoice in his toil. Yes, to rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God, right? Godliness with contentment. To know God, to love God, to serve God, right? I think of what Paul says in, 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 in Philippians chapter 3, right? That he has, he has uh, considered everything else as a loss for the joy, the surpassing joy of knowing Christ Jesus and sharing in his sufferings, right? Um, the joy. And then he says this in verse 20. For he will not remember much, not much remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with a joy in his heart, right? So think of the juxtaposition there of the words of toil and joy, right? The fact that, that, that in the moment, right, um, you know, I, I'll talk to my son who, who right now is in the early, uh, he's 21 and he's in the early days of his working life, right? And he'll be like, man, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. And it's like, dude, you, <laughs> you know, and because he's not married, I have to play the role of like the doting wife. Like, it's fine. You're going to be fine. How was your day? All that stuff, right? But it's like, this is work. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine, you know? But this is like just a small little, this is nothing. The, the, the joy of your toil as you build a life in relationship with God and then he gives you a wife or a husband and children and the opportunity to know him, love him, serve him in the midst of a community of faith and the opportunity to bear witness Right? And at the end, whenever that end is, whenever that end is, I don't know when it is, but at the end, the, the, the toil is like a... Because of the joy of knowing Him and the opportunity to serve Him and to love Him. Right? That's what, that's, that's what is beautiful in this life. Right? It's not the big house, although there's nothing wrong with having a big house. It's not, um, you know, the whatever society says is beautiful. What is beautiful in this life is knowing your Creator through His Son, right? And finding contentment and joy, not necessarily happiness, but joy in Him. And in the things that he, he entrusts to you and I, right? And so you see that juxtaposed in the middle of these evils, like the comparison of the person who, who, who schemes and the person who is, who is apathetic. In, in the midst of that, this person who finds joy, right? This is the person that God desires you and I to be, right? Now, you may be a Christian, but you still may be this person who's scheming or this person who's apathetic. And what God is calling you and I to be is the person who is, again, godly with contentment. I'm going to use that word even though that's not a, that's not a koalath term, that's a Paul term, because it's, I think, easier to remember, right? 
This passage concludes in verses 7 through 10, or through 9. Sorry, that's what I've been given, even though you could go 10. But um, all the toil of a man is for his mouth, right? Again, I've got this 21-year-old who's learning to work. He says, I feel like I'm just working to eat. It's like, uh, okay, yeah. I don't want to do that. I want to go have fun. Shut up and go to work. Stop your, t- stop your nonsense and go to work, right? Um, it feels like that until you recognize, like, like, you're created for these things. And then you begin to see that in the midst of these things, God opens up opportunities, right? For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? What does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes, and this is where I want to leave you. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. Right? The wandering of the appetite. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. Again, the idea of contentment. Right? You don't want your, your appetite to constantly be looking at that and looking at that and looking at that and looking at that and looking at that looking at that looking at that. But instead to be content and what the Lord has called uh, you to be, content in what the Lord has given you, placed within your, your hands, right? And, and content with the opportunity that he, has, um, that he has afforded you, again, to know him, to love him, and to serve him, right? So as, as we go forth, some things just to think about as the people of God, right? Um, to focus on that which is good and beautiful, primarily to focus on Christ, um, uh, first and foremost, to focus on knowing him, right? The opportunity you and I have every day, right? Every day to get up in the morning, to spend time with Jesus, to, to, to get up every, every morning and to just, um, as, you've, as you've practiced here today, uh, to, 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 to praise him, to pray to him, to confess him, to confess to him, to, to know him, right? The opportunity to serve him, right? And, 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 and in myriad ways, whether that be in your family life, in your vocational life, in your relational lives, uh, together as a body, uh, in, in your neighborhood, the opportunity to serve him in myriad ways, right? I think this is the place that we as the people of God find joy, that we find contentment, right? This is the place that we get um, uh, that, that, that we serve and that we get to express and find the joy uh, of our hearts. So uh, with that, I'm going to pray for you and, uh, and hand this puppy off to somebody else. So the Lord uh, bless you all. Father, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you that um, although there are moments in our lives that feel like uh, uh, drudgery, right? They feel like toil. There's no doubt about it. Um, that really you have um, created a, a means in relationship with you through your son by which this life can really be categorized as one of joy, um, one of great joy. Lord, we thank you for that. Uh, we thank you that, um, that we, as your people, who have been brought back into relationship with you through your son Jesus, have the opportunity um, to uh, go through the same everyday, ordinary life that, um, 
that our neighbors go through. Um, but we have the opportunity to go through that, um, recognizing that you are the author of all things, that you are the source and the sustainer of all things, uh, that you are the one who um, provides and protects, you are the one who, um, who, who cares for us, um, and that um, it's your purposes that we are serving in the world. And so therefore, we can trust you, we can um, find rest in you, we can find hope in you, we can find joy and contentment in you. And so for that, we thank you and we rest in that. Lord, be glorified in your people, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. The Lord bless you all.